We're good. Thank you. So I think we're done. That song, I think, summed up everything I'm going to say this morning. I think we're good. Um, I also enjoyed the uh, song, The Lily of the Valley. That song reminds me of camp. Um, yes, I, I did go to Greenwood Hills, but it reminds me of camp. And so does the song, As the Deer, if you know that song. Every time I hear it, it just takes me back to, to camp. So as was mentioned, we're continuing our series through the Apostles' Creed. We're about halfway through the summer, and we're about halfway through our series. Um, the Apostles' Creed is not an all-inclusive list of everything we believe, but it's a good foundation of the things that we do believe in as Christians. And yes, you won't find the term Apostles' Creed in the Bible. There are many terms you don't find in the Bible that we use as Christians to convey an idea or summarize something, uh, such as the Trinity. When I say the Trinity, everyone here knows exactly what I mean. I mean God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how they're three individual beings, but yet they're one, a very difficult uh, topic to explain or convey. Um, and this morning, we're going to talk about the third part of the Trinity, as, as was mentioned, the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go through, I'm going to give you, uh, we're going to go through his existence, we're going to go through his role in salvation, his presence, uh, physically here on earth, how do we know he came, his presence, his, and his role in our life. Um, is what we're going to try and cover here this morning. Um, so we're going to start by the Holy Spirit's and his existence. So where did the Holy Spirit come from? Well, if he's part of the Trinity with God and Jesus, and God is I am, which is eternal, eternity past, present, eternity future, and Jesus is the same, it's not hard to think that, well, if he's part of the Trinity, that he has those type of same attributes, and that he does. The Holy Spirit existed in the past, he exists in the present, and in the future. And we see this as an example in Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1, first account right beginning in the Bible, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So I can't tell you exactly the Holy Spirit's role in creation, I can tell you he was present uh, for creation. Uh, he was hovering over the waters. Maybe he was doing some reconnaissance work for God. I, I don't know, looking over the earth. But he was present. And we'll see that the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament beginning, throughout the Old Testament, and into the New Testament. We see that with Moses, Saul, uh, King David, and Judges. We see him with Samson as well, his presence. But this morning, our intention is to focus more on what's applicable, applicable to us. Um, so we're not going to spend much time in the Old Testament. We're going to spend most of the time in the New Testament and how the Holy Spirit interacts with us and what he's done for us presently. So we're going to start by going through how the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. And there's actually, I have this in two sections. One, which I'm going to call kind of a universal salvation, how salvation was offered to mankind, his role in that, that everyone has the opportunity for salvation. And then salvation on an individual basis, how each and every one of us have our own testimony and story. So I'd like to start by reading Hebrews 9, verse 14. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So in context, in Hebrews here, he's talking about the, Jesus Christ being our perfect high priest. 
And it's by the Holy Spirit he was able to offer himself unblemished to God to pay for our sins. I wonder how many of us actually realize that the Holy Spirit had a role in our salvation in that way. It's interesting. We all, we all are excited about our topics over the summer, at least when we get up here. We're, we, we, after we do this, some studying, we get excited about it, and we want to share. And I think it was mentioned maybe last week or a few weeks that we all kind of imply that our topic's the most important. Like, we like that, right? So our topic's the best. And I think I can make that argument with the Holy Spirit because he's involved in so much in our lives. Um, but I, uh, honestly, we, we may say that, but we all know that that's not really the case. Um, I was kind of thinking about an analogy, and it's like when you play Jenga and you get to the very end, it doesn't really matter which block you pull out, you're going to lose, right? So that is kind of the idea with Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and actually including the church, the incarnation, the resurrection, a lot of the ideas and the topics that are part of the Apostles' Creed is that they all work together for one purpose and one goal that God our Father had, has for us. And so we're going to look at, again, salvation in this universal way, and I'm going to start by reading Matthew 1.18, and maybe I should have Alan Wilkes recite it since it's his favorite verse, um, but I won't do that. Um, Matthew 1.18 says this, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So the birth of Jesus Christ was possible because of the Holy Spirit. Or if I change it and do it the other way, <clears throat> sorry, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no virgin birth. Again, another topic that may be difficult to comprehend, we see the miraculous, uh, the miracle that took place in the birth of Jesus Christ. But we know it's truth, right? It was prophesied beforehand and came true. Anytime we see something prophesied, that's even more evidence that someone would say something so crazy as someone would be born of a virgin. Right? We see the evidence in Jesus as God and how he lived his life. We see the truth in Scripture, how it blatantly says Mary was a virgin. And we also see it, which I think is very important, in the testimony that is shared over the generations, how the story's been shared. Yes, I know we've kind of distorted uh, Christmas in our culture, but we pass down this story of the virgin birth of the Trinity and other topics from generation to generation. And besides that it's blatantly stated that Jesus was born of a virgin, we also see it evidence in other ways. And so I'll give you one example for that. In the genealogy in Matthew, um, where it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is the Christ. In our translation it, in English, it doesn't come off very clearly but in the Greek, the phrase of whom was born is actually feminine singular, meaning that it's pointing to Mary of whom was born. And the idea that Mary's name is mentioned at all in the genealogy is um, a testimony and an example because women weren't men typically mentioned in genealogies. It's kind of like you know, us who are fathers, we get excited and we have kids, and we're like, yes, I, I have a son. I had a son. I had a son. And our wives are like, no, you didn't have the son. No, you didn't have a child. I did all the work, right? Like, you can be excited, right? And it's the idea of, you know, I'm not saying I birthed them, but I'm excited because I have one. It's, it's something similar. But in the Greek, it's clear that it's, uh, Jesus was born, of whom was born feminine, singular meaning, meaning Mary. And why is the virgin birth so important to us? Because it allowed Jesus to be both the Son of Man and the Son of God. He was human and fully God. 
And I look around the room and I see some people who like the Marvel Universe, and I know what they're thinking, that Star-Lord was both God and man, but spoiler, he is not real, right? There was only one person born who was God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ allowed him to be God. And when I say God, I mean God in all the essence of it. Sinless and holy and set apart. And man to experience everything that we experience here on earth. So Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So again, the virgin birth through the Holy Spirit allowed Jesus to be our perfect high priest. That's what I read back in the Hebrews of chapter 9, right? That's one of his roles the Holy Spirit has and has accomplished. Because when we think of salvation and we think of even John 3.16, for God so loved the world he sent his only son, we say, okay, God had a role in it. And obviously we think Jesus had a role in it because he's the one who died. But we tend to forget that the Holy Spirit had a role in it. It was by him he was able, Jesus Christ was able to offer himself unblemished to God for our sins. So that's kind of how, um, and I can expand on this, but in general, the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, and uni- I'll say universal salvation. But yet there's also something more important to that. It's our personal salvation that each and every one of us, I hope, in this room has a testimony that has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and the Holy Spirit has a role in that as well. Jesus tells uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, says, verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying this, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You know, there is one way to get to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ and his blood. But each and every one of us has our own individual testimony. It seems as if there's some mystery in actually how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to convict us in in an individual way. Um... But that is, in fact, what he does. The Holy Spirit convicts us that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. John 16 says, For when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove to the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness. You know, we talked about earlier how the Holy Spirit was present in creation, and now he's also present for the new creation in our lives. Um, one of the, as I was studying for this, there was someone who mentioned that they think the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is just to give life. And I think that's true, but I think it's more than the Holy Spirit. I think, again, God the Father and Jesus also have, have a role in that. Another great uh, part about our personal salvation that the Holy Spirit plays a, plays a role in is that we are marked with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So the Holy Spirit identifies us as children of God. The Holy Spirit seals us. We cannot lose our salvation, right? 
but the Holy Spirit marks us to know that we're saved. There are some people who can say that we can lose our salvation. That's not the case. The Holy Spirit is proof of that. So now we say, well, how do I know that the Holy Spirit came? Something tangible. How do I know that his presence, that he came here on earth and was given to us? So, uh, again, I picked three ways that we can identify and know that the Holy Spirit came. And one is through John the Baptist foreshadowing uh, the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize with, with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more important than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and by fire. So John the Baptist knew he baptized both with water and he baptized unto repentance. It was a different, um, different message. But he clearly states that in the future he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, this picture of something previously that has a good significant meaning will have a greater meaning in the future. It foreshadows something greater to come. Similarly, I mentioned this morning, the meeting this morning um, at John 3.14 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Yes, when the snake was lifted up and the people looked at it, yes, they were healed, but there was something greater that was going to be lifted up, right? That foreshadowed something more important, that Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross for our sins, that we look to him for our salvation. So John the Baptist foreshadowed the Holy Spirit coming and talked about it. Secondly, uh, Jesus Christ said it. I mean, John 16, 7 says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the Advocate, or Helper, or Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus, right, if we believe he's Messiah, we believe he's God, believe he died on the cross for our sins, we should believe what he says. And he tells the disciples that he is going and he will send them a helper or the Holy Spirit. You know, I do have to admit, if I was there as he told me that, I would um, have mixed emotions about it. Can you imagine standing next to Jesus and he's telling you, I have to go, but I'm going to send someone else to help you. And this is a good thing. And I don't know if they felt this way, but I think I would have felt, okay, Jesus, I've seen you heal the blind, the sick, raise people from the dead, walk on water, calm a storm, teach with great authority, all while showing love and compassion for one another. I don't know. I, I think I'd rather just keep you. Like, I don't, uh, thanks, thanks, I appreciate it. But in all honesty, I mean, I compare it to if, for us who are sports fans, if Tom Brady, last Super Bowl, walked off in the third quarter and said, I'm good, put someone else in, they'll do a good enough job, right? You'd be like, no, get in there. Like, no, I know what you can do, get in there. But they need to trust God, right? They need to trust God, and believe me, Tom Brady's not God, but they need to trust God, the fact that he has a plan, and his plan was to send the Holy Spirit, and he does tell them that this is a good thing. And I say that because Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit all have a role, and at that, that point in time, it was Jesus' role, part of God's plan, to go to heaven, right, and for the Holy Spirit to come. So I think uh, most of you may know that I, and myself, and Kathleen and some others help with the junior high youth group. And at the end of last uh, year, the, this past spring, um, after we, you know, we had Easter and talk about the resurrection and the importance of it, I was trying to think, what's a good devotion to share with the kids? And I thought the Holy Spirit, that's what came, came across. I wanted to encourage them. 
And, w- and the reason I wanted to do that is because he states to the, uh, the disciples that he's not leaving them as orphans. Too many times we think, okay, the story is Jesus is born. He has his ministry, his testimony. He dies. He's risen. He ascends into heaven, and he's coming back for us. But we forget the part in the middle in between where he ascends into heaven and he comes back that he's blessed us with the Holy Spirit to guide and help us. That we are empowered by the Holy Spirit as believers. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come, and that, in fact, is what happens. So lastly, how do we know that the Holy Spirit came? Right. Well, the Holy Spirit came, we know that because the event itself, because of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2 said, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were standing in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they had heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, some, however, made fun of them, saying they had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So, spoiler alert, they weren't drunk, right? The event is something significant that took place, and it's documented. This wasn't a gust of wind that came in, and it's like you're sitting there on a winter's day, and you're like, is there a window open? I think I, think I feel something. Right? Is my hair moving? Is that, is that it? Is that the wind? And they weren't like, was that the Holy Spirit? I think, I think I felt something. Was that my tummy? This was a significant event of wind, violent wind, gushing down from heaven, right? With a flame coming down, splitting apart, landing on each of their disciples' heads, a flaming tongue, and they began to speak in their own language, and everyone around them heard them in their native language, in a different language. I think the event itself is so significant it can't be denied. Or in other words, it's a documented great event of great magnitude that indicates something supernatural took place. I believe this was also for the disciples' sake. How, other, how else would the disciples know right, that the Holy Spirit came? It had to be something significant. right? They, didn't, they saw Jesus. Jesus was very tangible, but it had to be something significant so they would know, yes, this is in fact the Holy Spirit. I find it interesting the explanation that the world tries to give um, when something supernatural or God displays his power among us where they they say, oh, they're just drunk. Um, I won't ask everyone here to raise your hand if you've ever been drunk, but in my experience, when you're drunk, um, you don't speak your own language very well, let alone speaking another language at all. So... It's just another way that the world tries to minimize the Holy Spirit and God and the reality that we do have a God who's real and a Savior and a comforter among us. 
And I hope the last way we know that the Holy Spirit is real is because we know his presence in our lives, right? That we, we are Christians, we're saved, and then on a regular basis, we're engaging the Holy Spirit, and we feel his presence. So with that, we're going to look at a couple ways that the Holy Spirit um, is involved in our, in our lives. And I will say this, we're going to use some terms, I'm going to call them helper, teacher, comforter. Um, but when you get a chance, just like God has many names, such as Yahweh we see, and Jesus has many names and titles, take a look at all the names and the attributes that describe the Holy Spirit. So when we look at John 14, it says, All this I have spoken to you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, All this I have spoken to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you with, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the Holy, Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit will teach them all things. And don't think that um, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things about everything. This is in context, I think, into serving God and doing his will. Right? This isn't in context of, you know, win the lottery or pass, you know, um, to get rich or whatever it might be that you think. This is in context of serving God. He will teach them all things, right? And that could be taught us all things by having fellowship with one another and learning from one another. He teach us all things through his word, through his scripture that he's taught us. But we also have to want to be taught. We have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not one of those things where I can do my own thing, whatever I want, and then say, oh, okay, Holy Spirit, teach me in this moment, right? I'm expecting you to help me out here, right? We have to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. The other things he says, tells the disciples, is that he'll bring to recollection everything he's ta- he said to them. How many times in our lives, how are we sharing the gospel and a scripture pops into our head. We're having a conversation with someone, we're trying to encourage them, and a thought comes in, or a passage in the Bible to help them to encourage. The Holy Spirit helps us in our understanding. Sometimes, we don't get taught things right away, as as Jesus mentions to the disciples. As new believers, there are some topics and concepts that may be harder to understand. So over time, as we grow as Christians, the Holy Spirit can teach us as we mature and we grow. I find it interesting, too, one of the most famous verses we quote about peace, which I read, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Is in context with the Holy Spirit, right? Is in context that he's saying he'll give the Holy Spirit and teach them and call to recollection everything he's taught them. And some of the things that Jesus taught them is that you will be persecuted because I was persecuted, right? They'll hate you because they hated me. And it's interesting that he says, but yet you can have peace, right? When the disciples were being persecuted and going through hard times, that they can remember what the Lord said to them. Just like we can now, when we go through hard times, right? Things aren't going our way. We know that he sent the Holy Spirit to teach us and bring to recollection everything that we've been taught, including the fact that Jesus suffered and so will we. And that way we can have peace about it, right? Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Yeah, on our own power, that's very difficult, but through the Holy Spirit, that's possible, right? Uh, Luke 12 says this. This is Jesus again talking with the disciples. 
when they bring you before the Sanhedrin, the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about what or how or what you will speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Right? If we're seeking the Lord's will, even if we think we're down, we're out, we don't know what's going on, we can't predict the future, the Holy Spirit's with us. He didn't leave us as orphans, right? And he will give us the ability to overcome things in our lives. Different trials, different persecutions. We see the Holy Spirit as a helper, as I'll put it in, co- in the context of the verse we're reading, guides us into truth. John 16 says, However, when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit guides us in truth. He tells us what's right and wrong. He lets us distinguish between what is of the Father, what is good, and what is of the devil, right? And sometimes it's hard to pinpoint this. It's hard to know um, what is truth. I think too many times because we're distracted by the things of this world, right? They're all things that we love in this world that distract us. Maybe it's ourself. Maybe it's our pride. You know, we get into a situation where we think, I can just do this myself, right? We forget that we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We're just getting a routine of our daily routine, and we don't even think about it. You know, I think that was true in the case um, when I was looking at colleges back in the day. Um, I look back, and not that there's anything wrong with the college I went to, or I think, oh, there was this awful experience. I should have went somewhere else. But I do reflect back and think, you know, I should have talked with the Holy Spirit more, asked for more guidance on what college to attend. There's things in our lives that we just kind of go through, we walk through, and we just think, oh, this is just normal, right? Jobs, this is just normal. But we should reach out and find out, Holy Spirit, guide me in truth, guide me in my life, right? There are other times, as I think the song mentioned, that we grieve the Holy Spirit because we just give into the flesh, that we do what we want to do, and, and in this case, right, it's going to be hard to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? Sometimes it's hard to find truth because we're not li- relying on the Holy Spirit to do so. We'll share a personal story um, of a time where I is a better example of how to rely on the Holy Spirit. So um, many years ago, before Tower Road, Kelly and I went to a, uh, another church, and um, there were things going on that, you know, from the human eye, you would think, okay, maybe, maybe it's time to go on, maybe it's time to leave, and, um, but we never, we never felt led at that time. Uh, we would have people sometimes come and visit us, and as brethren like to do, encourage us in different ways, and they would say, don't you think you could be used better somewhere else type of thing? And at the end of the day, right, we just weren't led. Like, we were praying about this continually, praying about it um, together and separately, and then one day, a thought that was like, okay, um, now is it time for you to leave and go to Tower Road. Just like that, now. It was very direct, now, and go to Tower Road. And I thought, that's new. I enjoy that because it's very direct. I understand. And I started praying about, okay, how do I go about doing this? And the thought came, well, the first thing is talk to my family, my wife. Um, But anytime you make a change in your life, it's difficult, right? 
you go to a church for a number of years, you get married in a church, um, you're always wondering, you know, you know, how easy is it going to be? And if I said, hey, look, like, I'm telling you, you just need to be submissive and do so, my wife would have. But that's not how you want to do something. It's not how you want to obey God, right? So I was praying about it, saying, this is my concern, and the thought just said, just, just go talk with her. So that's what we did. We went up and we went and talked, and as we approached each other, it was something on the lines of, I have to talk with you. And she said, oh, I have to talk with you. And I said, um, I, I really feel led that we should leave and go to Tarot. And she's like, oh, I feel led that we should leave and go to Tarot Road. And so I think when we rely on the Holy Spirit for guidance and truth, there's some tangible things in our lives that we will see evidence of, things that we think may be hard to overcome, right, hard to make that decision, but if we rely on him, those things will be true. We also have one who's an advocate for us, especially in the context we're going to look at in prayer. You know, Jesus is an advocate for us before our sins before God, but we have one who's an advocate for us in our prayer. This is Romans 8, 26. Says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And when he searches our hearts, uh, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with his will. I am thankful for this. I'm thankful that Jesus intercedes for my sins. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit intercedes sometimes in my weakness when I don't know what to pray for, when I'm struggling. There are many times that we go before God in prayer and that we don't know how to approach it, but we have a Holy Spirit who helps us in our time of weakness. I do think also in prayer, um, as was kind of mentioned, I think someone mentioned that we say Lord a lot in prayer and don't always understand what it means. Um, I think we forget when we pray that we're talking to a holy God, that we're talking to a God who is perfect in every way, and that not intentionally, but sometimes maybe we can be irreverent in our prayers. And I'm thankful that we have someone who can intercede for me in this way. I remember many years ago, someone was telling me that they were praying for someone to break their leg. Not, not kidding. Someone break their leg. And um, so I was intrigued. I said, okay, I, I have to ask. And in their mind... They thought if the person broke their leg, then this would happen. They would go to some doctor. They would do something. And at the end of it, they would get saved. And I said, okay, I guess all that's plausible. But I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit interceded somewhere in there and just said, pray for this person, right? So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us um, in our times of weakness. He also can comfort us. And lastly, which I'm not going to cover in five minutes, is the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, right? Um, I'm going to make a distinction here. Um, the, Holy, the spiritual gifts are not fruit of the Spirit. In my definition, fruit of the Spirit, right? You know, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are characteristics we should have because the Holy Spirit indwells each of us all the time, right? These are things that we should be growing in us continually, in our Christian walk. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts, and there's different views on this, but in my view, spiritual gifts are all something that without the Holy Spirit aren't possible, and they're in general, maybe not everyone, but supernatural in the essence of, of what they are, right? And that's easier to see in some more than others. But um, 1 Corinthians 12 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, 
but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. For eat from same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distinguishes between them. To each, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So first of all, if you didn't get my emphasis, that there's one Spirit who is working in all of us, especially when you, in the idea of spiritual gifts. Um, and it's the Holy Spirit who determines what spiritual gifts we get. It's not a buffet where you walk up and you say you pick what you want. In studying this, I actually found out, I think it was popular in the 80s, that they would have a test you could take to find out your spiritual gifts. And I was reading through it, it was quite funny. Maybe, maybe look it up. But um, we can see in some, of the, in some of the gifts, such as healing or miracles, that they're more supernatural by nature. And you can see how the Holy Spirit works in them. But, but I think even faith, because, right, faith is listed as a spiritual gift. I think faith can even be um, supernatural in nature. And I say that, and I don't want to quantify levels of faith. That's not what I want to do. But even Jesus, when he describes people, he says, ye have no faith, ye have little faith, ye have great faith, and full of faith. I think there are people who have so much faith, right, that they are not persuaded by the things of this world. You know, think of Abraham who got up and just left just left everything behind to obey God and go to a country he didn't know. Then I compare Gideon. There's nothing against Gideon. I like Gideon because maybe he's kind of like myself, where you have faith, where you're like, okay, Lord, I just need some little bit of a guidance here. So can you do this little fleece trick for me? And okay, you did it once. Let's do it again. Right? Do the opposite so I know. Versus someone like David who says, who's this filthy Philistine who defiles my God? He didn't say, if there's a rock that looks like a giant, now I know I'll defeat him. He just says, I'm going. I don't care that I'm a third of his size. I don't care that I'm a boy versus a giant. I'll slay it. And I know that God will give it into my hands. That type of faith where people go without any evidence and just obey the Holy Spirit of God, that's the type of faith I think that is a spiritual gift that is supernatural beyond what we understand as humans. We'll say, um, again, that there is one spirit who works in all of us. And I think it's true in spiritual gifts, but I think it's true um, outside of that realm. Again, it's one spirit, one spirit, right, who works in each and every one of us. And I say that to say that we should do things that edify the church over things that edify ourselves. So regarding spiritual gifts, Paul, as he addressed the church at Corinth, said this, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but anyone who prophesies edifies the church. And he encourages them to prophesy over speaking in tongues. Why? Because it's better to edify the church. It's better, right, than edifying ourselves. That's not what the Spirit's about. The Spirit isn't about doing what's best for ourselves. So I think we find ourselves in the church thinking, well, I want this. This is what I want. I'm going to do it my way. We need to take a step back, right, and see is that from from God, from the Holy Spirit, or from something else, right? 
The Holy Spirit is about bringing unity among all of us in different ways. We saw that in, in salvation, right? He brings unity amongst the believers in our Christian life. And most of the time when you see spiritual gifts referenced, they're in the context of the church, God's people, right? And he's building the church up. So hopefully you see this morning that the Holy Spirit does a lot for us and has done a lot for us, right? The Holy Spirit is very real and tangible, we have lots of evidence that said the Holy Spirit came. We have evidence to show that it's the Holy Spirit was active in salvation, in universal salvation in each and every one of our lives, and that Jesus, and take these um, in closing comments, that Jesus didn't leave us as orphans, right? He didn't just go to heaven and say, good luck, have at it. And when he said, right, when he said this is a good thing, in fact, it is a good thing for us that we have the Holy Spirit. I encourage you this morning, just think about how you can engage the Holy Spirit more in your life, right? Follow his guidance, teach you in your times of hard, uh, hardship, ask for comfort and peace. That's what he's there for. That's why the Spirit has been given to us, right? To encourage us in our Christian walk, um, individually, but also to build each other up in Christ. So look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your Son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you suffered for us, and we thank you that you did give us the Holy Spirit to comfort us here on earth. Um, we pray now for each and every one here that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they're saved, that they know the Spirit's presence. Um, we're thankful that you have marked us, that we can be called children of God that we are saved and we cannot lose our salvation, that you paid the ultimate price on the cross for us. We pray that we can be encouraged here this morning to build each other up, knowing that there's one spirit among us um, that we should get our truth from, that he gets his truth from God the Father and Jesus Christ. We just pray now for the rest of the day to protect us um, and be with us throughout the week. In your name, amen.